I'm here in my backyard and I am looking for my new friend. Usually around this time of the day, towards the evening, she is uh, sneaking into the backyard and then she has her spots where she will hunt for insects, where she will chase birds. And yesterday in the afternoon, I had already observed her several times, but yesterday afternoon, I finally made her acquaintance and uh, and we have a strong bond now. Of course, I'm talking <laughs> about a cat. <laughs> there is this really nice, funny, dark cat. Actually, two colors. Uh, the main fur is black, but then there are orange spots all over the cat. And uh, the first time I saw her, she was almost still a kitten. Um, and she was... I could observe her from the window of my living room because I have a table where I sit often during the day when I have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. And and I see her play in the grass, so she must be from one of the houses in the neighborhood. And then yesterday, I hadn't seen her for a while, and then yesterday, um, there she was. And so I, I tapped on the window and she looked at me, but she didn't run away. And so I opened the back door and... Uh, I talked to, to her and at first she was, of course, like any cat would be, very uh, apprehensive. But I've learned from many cat-based TikTok uh, clips and videos um, that you just have to sit still. By the way, I'm no longer in my backyard, as you can tell. I'm heading towards the woods and I'm now uh, walking on the, the small path be, uh, next to the, to the, the cars here. It's always busy around this time. It's, uh, it's around 5 o'clock in the afternoon, so a lot of people are going home. And this is uh, one of the busy routes during that time. So, <laughs> since she didn't run away, I applied all the techniques that I'd learned from TikTok and just sat there, made myself very small, and, uh, and she started to kind of look at me and then got distracted by an insect and then looked at me, oh, you're still there, and then she circled me, and I extended my, my hand, and after about five minutes, she started to approach me and sniff my finger, and then, uh, uh, and then she darted away again. But since I wasn't moving and I kept talking to her, uh, at one point she, she came closer and closer and then just uh, pushed her head against my hand, and that, that's when I knew it was okay to cuddle her. So I, I started to cuddle her behind the ears and she seemed to enjoy that and she was getting very comfortable. <laughs> and at one point she was even on her back in the, in the grass just rolling around and uh, clearly enjoying uh, the company. And, and it was so funny because of course it reminded me of uh, my uh, attempts in the past to get in touch with, uh, with Arturo, uh, Father Henry's uh, rectory cat who was extremely shy, probably had lived his entire life on the street. It's very, very difficult to approach that one. This was clearly a domesticated cat who is used to being in the company of people. And so we got along pretty well. <laughs> At one point, she saw her reflection in the glass of my back door and she thought there was a cat in my house. So she wanted to get inside to play with that cat, not realizing that 
well, she was just looking at herself. <laughs> so at that time, I knew it was time to put some distance between me and the cat because otherwise I just don't want her to sneak into my house and then, you know, maybe the, her owners are getting worried um, <laughs> where she is. But I was pretty sure that this wasn't a stray cat, so I don't need to feed it. But it's kind of fun to... To, to to have a bond and I'm pretty sure that the next time she'll be in the backyard I'll go outside and <laughs> we'll chat a little bit it is wonderful what you can learn on TikTok and uh, I never thought that I would ever be a cat person because we've always had dogs um, and still when I'm recording the walk well you know how, how much dogs love me <laughs> and love to to disturb my recordings or or even chomp on my windscreen if they get the occasion if they get the chance but i think i've i've changed i still like dogs but um but cats are definitely very special i don't think i'll ever get a pet in the house um but that has to do with of course all the the care that you have to give a cat like that and it would uh, um definitely be a challenge i think to to take care of a cat all by myself especially seeing the kind of work that I do and uh, I just have to be able to to get away and without strings attached and this is also why I have this position I'm not a parish priest I <laughs> and that's deliberate I do help as much as I can but there will be times that I have to travel or something will happen in Rome and I'll have to be there in the Vatican. So I want to keep that mobility, but I can still really enjoy um, these occasional encounters with uh, these wonderful creatures that are cats and dogs and, and whatnot. <laughs> Maybe that's also why I have a subscription to the zoo in Arnhem. And I haven't been there in months, probably also because... Uh, I've been a bit too busy with other stuff. But I, I so enjoy being there, just being among these animals and see them in their natural habitat. I don't have to take care of them, <laughs> but it's still really cool to observe them and to... Um, it, it helps me also to put some distance between me and, uh, and my, my work and my world. Because people can be complicated to handle. Relationships can be tricky. Um, th th there are so many occasions where being among, among people just drains me from my energy whereas I don't have that at all with animals because they don't have an agenda they don't have any claims on me well a cat may have because it needs to be fed but in this case it's just <laughs> it's just a visiting cat so um, it, it, it helps me to step away and to relax uh, much better than any other activity. So the zoo for me is really one of my happy places. And I'm sure that uh, everyone has these happy places and it may be different. <clears throat> and it, it also changes over time. I remember that uh, I used to love it to go to Amsterdam or to a big city, um, especially if I was traveling. I still vividly remember the week or so that I spent in Manhattan and I had a... Hi, hi. <laughs> this is one of my altar boys who's uh, greeting me. He's uh, on his bike. I think they're on vacation already, the kids. School is closed. But um, 
I, I love that week in, in Manhattan. I loved how busy the city was. And it was literally this, the city that never sleeps, that Frank Sinatra sings about. Um, but last Saturday, I was back in Amsterdam. And just the crowds and the noise, it just overwhelmed me. And uh, it didn't feel... I still enjoyed the visit. But it wouldn't be a place where I would go to relax. Um, I prefer the woods here uh, ahead of me at the end of this road or, or my own backyard. It's so much more. I'm, I've become more of a hobbit or maybe more of a less of a took <laughs> and more of a baggins. Um, although I still like traveling, but I prefer to travel in nature and to uh, remote places instead of the, the busy ones. Uh, Speaking of my work in a parish, uh, I still try to help as much as I can, um, especially with the Sunday celebrations. As you know, our parish has a number of locations, I think like six or something, six churches, and, uh, and it has uh, uh, two full-time priests, um, and I'm just filling in the holes in the, in the schedule. Uh, it's almost impossible to to have Mass at every location every Sunday. Um, and especially now that Father Mauricio, who is the pastor of the parish, is still recovering from his uh, post-surgery trouble. I'm filling in um, as much as I can. Although I, I notice that I have to also be careful with volunteering too quickly. It's in my nature to immediately say yes. So I got a, uh, a question with if I could... Um, take over the International Mass this upcoming Sunday. And I also did that last Sunday. But I noticed that, it, especially this past weekend, really um, took its toll. And, and for days I've been kind of a bit discombobulated. And it, it wasn't because of the Mass itself, but after Mass, uh, someone uh, spent about half an hour criticizing my homily or the contents of my homily it didn't agree with what i said and uh it wasn't it wasn't a very pleasant conversation and it was really um difficult to hear that and i didn't really know what to say um but as you know um uh, you can get a hundred positive reactions and then this one negative reaction that's the one that sticks with you and that is exactly what happened and I've, I thought a lot about it, you know, why, why is this happening? Why am I so, all of a sudden, so triggered by this criticism? And I think it is because it reminded me in the, of, of past kind of traumatic situations where I felt that I wasn't, I wasn't free to say what I felt. And um, uh, it would uh, actually even have consequences if I just uh, voiced my opinion. And so I was in especially when I was younger, very much the person who never spoke up. Never, I spoke about this a few weeks ago as well in this podcast. I, I was kind of, kind of always waiting for other people to voice their opinion, and towards the end I, will, I would try to say something that would please everyone, and wouldn't ruffle any feathers. But I'm done with that. Um, I have my opinion, and I have uh, my right to voice it, and especially as a priest, and if I need to preach... I want to be able to feel free to preach what I believe the gospel is telling us. And if that doesn't jive with what someone else's perception is, 
then we can have a civil conversation. But this was beyond that. It felt really very much like a, a, a an, an attack that was unwarranted and also in a tone of voice that was very aggressive. And uh, yeah, that wasn't very pleasant. And and I, I think it just reminded me of the anxiety that I felt um, when I was younger and, and people would attack me where there would be consequences. Even as you know, and I've talked about this as well, in, in, in our, our, my own church, where sometimes saying what you see or voicing your opinion can actually lead to very severe consequences um, where people are... are, are you know, moved to another parish, and wow, I don't need to go into details because I've I've gone through a number of those experiences where I felt very unsafe to stand up for myself or to stand up for actually to stand up for someone else. I would still have no problem with that, but to stand up for yourself and then having to bear the consequences of that and not being respected in in your own opinion, even if the, I may be wrong, and I've always said that I. I'm always happy to adjust my opinion on stuff because I don't know everything. But I feel that I, just like anyone else, I need to have the freedom and also the safety to say what I feel, what I think, especially if it's, you know, I don't just just, just yell things in a microphone when I, do, when I uh, preach. I, I, I try to really be conscientious with what the what I feel is the message of this gospel but if that for, for other people triggers something that they are very I don't know angry about or traumatized about um, I don't think it's fair that they take it out on me and I feel like I need to protect myself from that kind of um, uh, uh, verbal well Maybe aggression is a big word, but it it, it definitely felt like that. I, I I experienced it. Maybe it wasn't intention, intentional, but it hit me hard that criticism, and uh, and I feel like well, I have the right to also be triggered by that, and to think twice if you know for, they want me to be back in that mass, and that the, the same people are going to be there, and I'm going to get the similar feedback. I'm I'm not looking forward to that. It's so. I, I want to be careful to protect my boundaries, as I explained a few weeks ago in this podcast. A boundary is a perimeter, and boundaries are there because they protect, protect something of, of great value. In this case, for me, it's uh, peace of mind and also um, my sense of freedom. I, want, I don't want to feel anxious about what I'm going to say just because someone else may have an issue with my opinion or my preaching. And so, yeah, I really caught myself this morning. Like, initially I wanted to say, of course I will, uh, I'll do that. But now I'm thinking, well, you know, I've, I've been really having trouble with that, with that experience for several days. And that is to the detriment of my of my mission and of my my own well the energy that I need to apply to my to my work so I'll still have to think about it a little bit and pray about it but I'm not immediately going to say yes um, because I'm after all I'm, I'm happy to help but I'm only human and I also want my experience in the parish to be as much as possible a positive one uh, because it's for me it's 
it's just I'm just assisting I'm just trying to help but yeah I don't want to get into big debates about <laughs> about church politics or whatever anyway enough about that let's talk about work this past week um, we had a very cool summer meeting with the uh, the advisory council uh, which consists of three people right now we've got Tom who is our uh, treasury treasurer uh, we've got Michiel who's our secretary and also HR person and we've got Simona who is our current leader of the board and uh, has very valuable input because she's also part of our community and listens to the podcast and know what's going on in our community and then Inga was there our, our community manager and I was there we, we came uh, together in um, in Amersfoort my previous uh, my previous the, ple- the place where I previously lived, um, and the trains were not right. Were not uh, were not uh, working. The, they were putting a new roof over the over the station where I normally take the train, and so uh, there was no train traffic. And you could get to Amersfoort by bus, but it was a hassle, and it would take almost two hours. Whereas if I would take my bike, it would also take less than two hours. It's about an hour and 45 minutes. I figured, yay. Since I still have these issues with my feet and I can't really walk long distance, which of course still remains to be tested one more time, I think tomorrow or on Saturday, well, probably tomorrow, I'll go for a long walk on these shoes that I'm currently wearing, these bright yellow (laughs) shoes that I bought because they, they're they very comfortable um, and I'm going to see if I can walk. Um, what happens to my feet if I walk more than 20 kilometers? If they hurt, just as I did it during the previous attempt, then my participation in the walk of the world next week will be completely... I'm going to cancel that. I'm not going to risk injuries. But if it works out well, hey, next week is going to be really good weather for walking. Temperatures are going to be um, even a bit cooler than today. So it's going to be around between 20 and 24 degrees Celsius, which is really nice summer temperatures, especially compared to the rest of Europe that is um, that is baking in sweltering heat, especially in Rome and in parts of Spain. Um, record temperatures. This is so concerning. Um, and it, it, it's dangerous, of course, as you know, if the temperature goes above the point where your body can cool itself down and you then would go for, for these huge long-distance walks. Um, last year, they cancelled one of the four days of walking because of those circumstances. But this week, this upcoming week, it's apparently going to be very uh, nice uh, weather-wise for, for walking. No rain, just lower temperatures. And like kind of cloud, clouds and sunshine, a bit of everything. So my heart really wants to walk. Uh, my head tells me, don't, don't be stupid. <laughs> don't, uh, uh, don't risk an injury just because you want to accomplish this, uh, this walk of the world. We'll see. The proof is as usually in, or the proof, the, if... If it's just a matter of shoes and these shoes would work for these long distances, then I'm going to give it a try and I will give myself permission to fail 
which is also kind of a, a novel thing for me, you know. I'll just go and if after one day I still have to conclude that it was too much, I feel, I feel comfortable not finishing um, the challenge. But who knows? We'll see. Um, how did I get to that point? <laughs> I got sidetracked at one point. <laughs> I was talking about my work. Um, oh, yeah, so, so <clears throat> since I wanted to spare my feet, um, I figured, hey, th- th- this long-distance bike ride, that can actually be really good for my overall health, and it will help me to maintain my current form without taxing my knees and my feet. So that's what I did. I went by bike, and we had a very good meeting. Uh, we do this uh, twice a year, where we get together and we look at... Um, uh, our, proje- our current projects and also our strategy, you know, is our way of reaching out, does it really work? And what kind of results does it yield? And what do we need to continue it, to improve it? Do we need to course correct over time? And I love these, these kind of these sessions with, where we try to broaden our view and look at the big picture. And then having a... Uh, an advisory council that is a little bit more at a distance of the day-to-day creative work that I'm doing with Inge uh, really helps to uh, it, it makes makes me feel like we're 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 on this journey together and uh, there's always much more wisdom in multiple people um, than when I'm just coming up with stuff and so it's it's very helpful to. Uh, to have those uh, those days so we we, um, we talked about uh, um, where we are currently at the halfway point of the year and uh, a, a few weeks ago we worked on getting together the data so how many people are we reaching how is it going what is our financial status right now um, and at the beginning of the year we had formulated a plan or even last year at the end of last year a plan of how we would uh, continue this year with our mission and it basically focused on three main pillars you could say there is the podcast stuff that i do and the outreach on social media mostly on tiktok and youtube and then uh, we had this idea of making documentaries that was still my the thing that that has a lot of longevity and what i did for television Um, it's it's what i love to do I don't want to miss it, but it's also super time-consuming. But we wanted to give it a try and see, the, for instance, YouTube and TikTok more as a, as a side thing. And then uh, focus on the documentaries. And then as a third idea was to explore this um, plan of, of passing on our knowledge and our experience when it comes to how to communicate faith to a younger generation and to maybe ultimately at one point create a course or a book or even a video course based on all that experience and uh, make that available to people anywhere in the church that want to uh, want to do what we do and that's to reach out with their message and to connect with with target audiences that are not necessarily uh, currently part of your community this whole outreach evangelization idea so that was what we formulated and then over the course of the past few months um, 
I've discovered, and I also shared that with you previously, that um, what I enjoy to do most is, and what, what really gives me the idea that, that this, is, this is the core of, of my mission, is to connect with that younger audience, with the geeks, with the Star Wars fans, or the people interested in anime, because those are the people that the church barely reaches now. And it's something that we're good at. And it's, it's very effective and also yields um, often really good results. Not maybe in terms of quantity, but definitely in terms of quality. I get almost every week um, testimonials. And oftentimes people just leave a comment in the, be, beneath the videos that I make. And they say, oh, this is so cool. This really helps me. And, and it's wonderful to see someone of the church being so involved in in our culture and in our world and 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 occasionally people even over time get closer to to the church and to their faith or rediscover their faith and that of course is for me it's it's the ultimate reward if you have really helped someone not just by entertaining them but by, by helping them on their journey in life and in faith then yeah what what is more beautiful than to be able to contribute to that process? And so um, I realized when I was walking around at the Dutch Comic-Con a few weeks ago that that was the crowd that I felt was, was my, my core parish, you could say. That that's, those are the people that I, I want to be there for. And I also realized that that would mean... Um, that the emphasis, instead of being on the documentaries, should stay. I'm not saying that I shouldn't do the documentaries, but my core effort is the my mission. My core mission is that work with the geeks and to build bridges between that world and the world of faith. That's consistently what I've done ever since I started this ministry, which goes back to the early years of my priesthood when I was. Uh, writing blogs on my Star Wars website. So, the, that we, we talked about that. And then I said that the, the, the issue is that I cannot, uh, in addition to that, first of all, there are two issues with this. Um, I cannot do both the, the documentaries and make a documentary every month um, and do that all by myself and in addition create all these short form videos the short form videos um, I'm still working on on finding a very efficient ways to create them and last week I shared with you this idea that I had thanks to Meta's threads to create these very short one minute videos based on five social media posts and I'm still convinced that that for me is a major uh Discovery. This is a great format that will make it much easier for me to maintain a, a consistent presence on these short-form video platforms. Um, but the podcasts also really don't put much of a burden on me because I enjoy talking with you and sharing my life and my passion with my listeners. But the documentaries, that's a whole different ballgame. And, um, and then the, the board said something that... Uh, surprised me and that is well didn't we give you permission to hire people to make that documentary with you and we had budgeted uh, a, a certain amount 
for a documentary, but you didn't use it. You didn't do anything with it. And I have to be honest, I totally spaced out on that. Maybe we have discussed that, but I didn't remember it. So I always felt that if I am going to do documentaries, that's what I have to do. And I have to do it myself because, well, we're still operating at a loss. So we, we, we cannot, we have to be conservative. I want to be conservative with the money. And I want to make sure that I don't... Um, uh, spend a lot of it because editing is a is an expensive type of work uh, it, it doesn't come cheap but apparently the the the, the advisory council had already greenlit uh, that we would uh, use some of our um, reserves for uh, that work so anyway but that, that was my first issue like I can't do both uh, all by myself and the second thing was those documentaries are probably even if I make them very good, unless I am able to sell them to a television station, they are not going to give much return on investment. Because you can't just put a documentary up on YouTube and then hope that hundreds of and thousands of people are going to watch it. There are a few channels with documentaries that are super successful, but they've been doing that for years and they have a, like a very steady output. So it is feasible, but it requires a tremendous amount of concentration and focus and also a lot of resources. But the outcome is still up in the air. You don't know if it's going to work. Um, and certainly not, it's not going to generate any money uh, on, on YouTube because advertisement revenue coming from YouTube is extremely small. Um, I was looking at the... Um, the rates for my particular channel and I'm just talking about the Star Wars channel which is kind of sizable so it ranks higher in what advertisers have to pay to be on that channel but still it only uh, makes one dollar and fifty cents per thousand views of a video <laughs> just to give you an idea yesterday I posted my reaction to the new Star Wars Ahsoka trailer and usually those reaction videos do really well because people like to see joy and enthusiasm. And that's kind of my thing. I can be very enthusiastic and it's infectious. And so people tend to watch that much more than my other videos. Um, but since I posted this, that took me about a day to create a video. Well, maybe a bit less, but still. Um, it was quite a bit of work because I also wanted... It was a long... It was not just a reaction, I also uh, kind of commented on the various aspects of the trailer. But in order to make that more interesting to watch, I, needed, I wanted to insert other footage. I used a lot of the footage that I shot at London during the Star Wars celebration. So all in all, it, was, you know, it wasn't a really complicated editing job, but I did spend quite a bit of time. So far, we're now like a day later, it has amassed about 5.5 thousand viewers and I'm pretty sure that this will gradually increase um, so that will be a video that will do really well but what is 5,000 views it means I made what is it six seven bucks on that effort so that is not a very good return on investment I would need hundreds of thousands of views which I don't think I can reach with that kind of video in order to even make a few hundred dollars and we're talking about more than half a day of work. So that is not a very good business to be in. 
However, it is my mission. I feel like this is important. And 5,000 people may not be much for advertisement revenue, but it's 5,000 people that see a priest talk about Star Wars and about certain religious elements in those Star Wars stories. Um, and that in itself is a very good result. There's way more people than I would reach in an entire year of preaching in church. So uh, I talked about that and said, and this is the issue not just with documentaries, but also with the, the, the other videos. That particular target audience does not usually uh, create a, a revenue stream. You can, you can, of course, convince a few people to become patrons. But as you know, the amount of patrons that I have is, what is it? 200 maybe not even uh, it's it's a tiny percentage of the people that i reach with these podcasts and with my videos so it's it's obvious that that is not the return on investment it's not monetary maybe it's not even numbers because sometimes i do videos and it only reaches a few thousand people which is not much in terms of youtube compared to the the big uh, youtubers and the successful entrepreneurs on youtube but it's still sizable if you think about it in terms of this mission of outreach. And that is where the council really helped me to realize that we're talking about two different elements of the work that I do. Instead of thinking, well, we need to come up with better content that has, reaches more people and creates more revenue and uh, attracts more patrons we can think about, well, the mission itself is outreach and the result, the return on investment is if it helps people, if it makes them happy, if it changes their lives, if it, that is very difficult to quantify numerically and even less financially. You know, a video that I do or this podcast may have a long, long lasting impact on someone's life without it generating any measurable data. The only, the only thing that we, I would know if, if, if that person sends me a testimonial, which some people do and some people don't. But the mission I'm convinced is what I need to do. And we have been doing... This is a constant focus of, of everything I've done in social media uh, ever since I was ordained a priest. But I've been... I held myself hostage with that idea that we need to make ends meet and so this content should trigger the algorithm and it was this constant rat race of trying to see if we could go you know reach bigger numbers and and I, I was always struggling with that because I felt that a lot of the work that I do does not is I don't do this work to generate money I am doing this work because I want to help people and I don't do it in the capacity of a coach that can just have rates. Like if you want to watch this video, it's going to cost you a couple of hundred bucks and then subscribe and receive my book and whatever. All these things. I know that those, that is often the way for, in which fellow media creators uh, monetize uh, their, their work. But I'm in a different 
I'm in a different position and this constant pressure that I put on myself, like, oh, we need to make ends meet. And we're, we're currently operating in the loss and how long, for how long do we have reserves was blocking me to make the right choices. And so we talked about that and the council said, well, what if in addition to this core mission that you have, um, there is another part of, of our work, and that is to make sure that we find sponsors, patrons, and donors that sympathize with this mission, even though they themselves may not be the beneficiary of that mission. It's, it's comparable to some of these initiatives uh, where people work to clean up the ocean, you know, with all the plastic uh, debris that is in the oceans and I, I see that and I, I watch a video and it shows me how hard they're working and how important it is for our environment and uh, to get rid of all that plastic and to protect the wildlife in the, in the sea. I will never go on a boat like that. But I really think it's super important that they do that. I sympathize with that mission. I want to motivate them and stimulate them to continue developing new techniques to be able to... to um, solve this problem and so I donate and, and so that they can continue that mission if that is our approach then I can let go of this constant pressure that every video should have the ability to go viral and should you know rake in the the numbers uh, we can we can f- add uh, a part of our of our organization could focus on finding a few people because you don't need that many people of course you can go for the numbers which is with patron something that is so incredibly cool that with only a very small percentage of the people that i reach we're still able if we just add up all these monthly uh, sometimes it's two fifty. Sometimes it's five bucks that people give. Some some people have more means and very generous, and they, they will donate ten ten dollars a, a month. And uh, those are, if you add that together, you see the strength of the community. So that is super cool, and something I also believe that that helps people feel connected to my mission. But in addition to that, if you could find a few people that have deeper pockets that really want the church to have this outreach, um, they could substantially help us to continue this mission just because they feel it's important and not because they expect a monetary return on investment or anything. And it, it sounds so obvious now that I share this with you, but it is something that I had totally not thought of. And it was such a... It was so liberating to think of our efforts in that way that um, what I do... This was another insight that Simona said, uh, gave us um, during that meeting. Simona said, your struggle with, you know, what documentary do you make and how do you get that... Uh, to your target audience is still very much informed by this idea that it needs to make its money back. And that is why you don't want to hire anyone uh, and uh, you burden yourself with that idea that, well, these documentaries need to be top-notch and and ultimately if we can sell them to a television station then 
uh, it will be an investment uh, worth it, that, that is worth it. But she said, actually, the documentary is the mission. And I asked, what do you mean? She said, the moment you step uh, in, into this convention hall and you start to interview these Star Wars fans and you ask them about their life, about their passion, about their faith maybe sometimes, that is, re you are doing the mission. You are reaching out. So why don't we see the documentaries as chronicling that mission and creating a showcase of what we do. And in a certain way, a documentary is much more efficient in conveying our mission than podcasts, especially if you want to reach um, donors that may themselves not be um, recipients of the media. I've got so many people that I know are very um, committed Catholics and really hope and pray that the church is going to renew itself and reach out and, and we'll be able to build that bridge to the younger generation. But they're not going to be on TikTok. They, maybe they're on Facebook, like a lot of older people are. But they're not going to uh, venture out and, and listen to a ton of podcasts. So in, in the past, we've always tried to contact our uh, and motivate our patrons by saying, hey, this is th this link, go, go and watch this. And uh, we did this and that on TikTok. But it's very un difficult to grasp the impact uh, and the nature of what we do if you yourself are not uh, very involved in social media. And so a documentary could be something that you say, well, you want to you know what we do to reach out and to evangelize and to touch the lives of young people? Watch this. And then you will see me actually reaching out and entering into a dialogue and listening to what this young generation wants to share and to the questions that they have. And it's a much more palpable type of communication of our mission than just, you know, blog posts and social media posts and, and, and links to TikTok and, and, and YouTube. So uh, th that was so helpful. Uh, and and uh, today I spoke with uh, Inge also, well, what would that mean? We, we need to make this a little bit more specific. Uh, how are we going to operate? Um, and so I said, for instance, I, since I really want to connect with that young generation, I need to work on being as consistent on these video channels as I am with my audio channels. I'm, I'm there for the podcast. Every week you get an episode of The Walk and an episode of The Break. And uh, now it's time to bring that same consistency because without consistency and, and a certain dependable output, you're not going to reach those communities. You're not going to build a bond. So what can I do to make sure that there is steady output on those channels. And what are those channels going to be? Well, as I've already explained, we've done away with a lot of our, our channels, um, but we still have a few. Um, and we need to even think about some kind of hierarchy when it comes to those channels. So we've got the, the, the Father Roderick Story Secrets channel. Um, we've got a fast-growing anime channel. 
um, that is a totally different audience. So that is like very cool to have two, not one niche market, but to have two niche audiences that are very eager to consume anything that, uh, that I create. And then um, like a third channel is the Lego channel which is still a little bit of a hobby, but it is getting to the tipping point where it could be monetized. And it is, um, it's getting to about, we're over a thousand uh, subscribers. So that is the first step. And then you need to get a certain number of hours watched. So, um, and, and it's funny, if you look at the statistics, that channel is used a lot by what I think are mothers. So <laughs> my, my, uh, podcast, I think, in terms of who it reaches, is 50-50, especially the walk. Um, so both male and female. Usually, uh, I think people around 40. So if you're younger, congrats. If you're older, not to worry. <laughs> but it's kind of the middle. It's not... The, the, usually my audiences are a little bit younger than I am myself. Um, on, on YouTube, it's all male and even younger so youtube is uh, definitely between 30 and 40 the majority of my viewers are 95 percent male <laughs> so that's interesting um and the lego channel is ma- predominantly female and also between 30 40 so that tells me that's probably mothers who are looking for educational Lego videos that are fun to watch and that explain the faith because the, the number one videos are always the, the Lego videos w- with a bit of animation where I explain Holy Week or Christmas or Advent. And those videos are very old and not very well executed. But it does, that data really helps me to decide where to take that channel. And I think there's huge potential. Um, but again, it's slightly different from the other channels. Um, and also, again, is that going to be the main, the core mission? Um, maybe for now, I would say the Lego channel is still a side business. It's, uh, it's not something that will all of a sudden be, uh, if I, if you want to do that well, you have to do just Lego, but I am not intending on doing that. So, so there we are, um, the overall idea is that we have two pillars or two funnels you could say if you think in in terms of marketing Uh, the biggest broadest funnel is the one that we've always served that is uh, to reach out using the world of television and animation and science fiction and fantasy to uh, to connect and then to to add deeper layers to um, to the way in which people experience those those stories, uh, so that that and and that is that's the core mission. <clears throat> uh, and then you have a secondary funnel, and that is for the people that want to support our mission. That's where I would say we have the patrons, we have the people that have at one point in their lives subscribed to our um, to our newsletter, which again we didn't use that. We have thousands of people subscribed to the newsletter. We don't use it because we, we were always like, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to... to who, is, is the reci- who are the recipients of this newsletter? Is it people that want, wanted to be subscribed 
because they wanted more Star Wars information or more Lego videos? Or is it because they, they want to follow what we do uh, and, and they want to be informed about our mission? I think we're going to choose for that last, last category. The newsletter is to help people to follow what we do, to give them, uh, to illustrate what we do. For instance, with a documentary every once in a while or with behind-the-scenes stuff and stories. Just tell stories. Big advice that I got from a number of people is uh, instead of just fundraising, is make people enthusiastic by sharing testimonials. Show people what your mission means to other people. Um, And that will make them want to support. So the newsletter, and then we have uh, our Tridio Foundation, which is the, basically the, the uh, advisory council is the advisory council of the foundation, uh, Tridio. And Tridio is, um, it's, is broader than just me. <laughs> it is, the Tridio is there to um, facilitate the mission and to protect the mission, to keep us on track. And I, as Father Roderick, may be right now the main creator, um, but it's not necessarily going to be like that for forever. Uh, there can be other people and creators that maybe over time we can um, enlist that also embrace this mission and maybe are even better at it than I am. So um, th- those communication channels of Tridio could be... Uh, places where we can tell our story, the story of our mission. And that, that's it. So that makes it all of a sudden, at least for me, a lot clearer. And I can focus again on what I believe is my main task as a pastor, as a shepherd. This, what I'm doing right now, talking to you and sharing with you today this process of discernment and reflection um, this is, this is my core mission. I want to be walking. We, 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 we're looking for a story that could help illustrate what this mission is all about. And I immediately thought of the story of the disciples that are walking to Emmaus and Jesus joins them. And I feel that that is such a, a good story to illustrate our method. Uh, we're not like St. Paul going to the Agora, you know, the marketplace, and then just enter into all sorts of philosophical and theological debates and we're more what we try to emulate is what Jesus does with these disciples that are walking away from Jerusalem and they don't know where to go next and they have all sorts of experiences and but they don't see the direction in their lives and Jesus first listens to them and he walks with them even though they're going in the wrong direction (laughs) they're walking away from Jerusalem Uh, they're giving up but Jesus still joins them and and then when he has listened to them and he tried to understand how they are thinking, he clarifies and he explains and he tells them, he shows them how everything is part of a plan and had to happen. And, and that makes them super excited. So there's an aspect of joy and enthusiasm that is an integral part of the story of the disciples of Emmaus. And later on, they tell each other, didn't our hearts burn when he was talking to us? We were on fire. And that, I think, is very fitting for the kind of vibe uh, that we try to create around what we make. There's always this element of enthusiasm and passion, 
this is why a reaction video, even though, you know, what is the value of a reaction video to a Star Wars trailer? What does that have to do with evangelization? Well, for me, it's this part. It's this fire, this enthusiasm, this passion, this joy that I think is, uh, I hope, is, is uh, uh, contagious. And it's, it's even um, if you don't... If you let go of the of the religious aspects of this of this mission or the even evangelization effort, um, that in itself is already so valuable to be a source of joy and optimism uh, in in a world that is so cynical and can be so bitter and so polarized. I don't know how long you've been part of my community and how long you've been listening to my stuff um, but I hope that that is something that you associate with what we do it's this kind of nice vibe it's almost like a like a small island in a in a very stormy sea where I hope people can just sit and rest and find nice uh, people that that are helping them and that they feel comfortable with a community where you are safe no matter who you are and what your background is where people respect each other this for me is very much church building uh, but then church not in a sense of an institute that tries to convince people of dogma and, and theory there is a, an aspect of, of exploration and an and intellectual effort to understand, but it's, it's a church that is a field hospital where if you are damaged and you, you hurt or you are just in need of a, a smile, you can come and you will find that smile and you will be refreshed and you, you, you notice that there are lots of other people that are uh, just like you and... You know, not everybody is cynical and bitter and, and polarized. For me, this is also why I keep doing this work. Because after that experience, um, after Mass that I shared at the beginning of this podcast, where I felt so unsafe and so attacked and like really started to doubt myself on so many levels... Uh, being part of this community constantly reminds me that it's okay to be who I am. I have my own charism and I'm not a politician. I may not even be a, 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 a good theologian, but that's ultimately not why I'm a priest. I'm a pastor. I want to be close to people. I want to help them. And, uh, and I hope that they feel safe and, and are, um, that I can help them in a positive way. This is probably why the criticism hurt so much, because I felt like I failed that person. I made him feel triggered and angry and mad, and it's the last thing that I want. But also, if you please everything, if you try to please everyone, you know that you're not doing anything at all. Uh, So uh, I've grown, and I believe that I'm no longer the people pleaser that I used to be, but I do want people to to have positive takeaways of what I share with them. And um, but I also need to protect that optimism. And I this is why it's so important to 
to have a community manager. And what Inge does in the background, with all her experiences for years and years in all sorts of forums, is to gouge whether someone is there to contribute in a positive way or is there to, you know, to troll or to... Uh, to, to start all sorts of provocative debates. In, in the background, Inge is, is always um, keeping an eye on that community and on the conversations, so that the moment we feel that, oh, this person can be in trouble for the rest of the community, we can intervene and we can try to inform that person of the consequences of that behavior. And that's extremely valuable. It's largely invisible. And that's a good thing, because if, if it would be visible, it would mean that it wouldn't work. You know, moderators are there so that everybody feels safe and, uh, and heard. But uh, it, it's a bad situation when moderators have to openly, uh, you know, intervene and, and uh, repress and whatnot. Now, this is something, the, the quality of the community is something you have to uh, guarantee almost at the entrance. You have to be a very good guardian of uh, who you let into that community because you don't want troublemakers in there. And that is... Uh, that's extremely important. And I think that uh, uh, the internet shows us that people are craving that, that safety. And... One of the reasons I think that Threads is such a runaway success so far is that people were sick and tired of all the negativity on Twitter and all the harassment. And so now that there is a much more easygoing, maybe also to a certain extent more superficial uh, type of social media uh, platform that, that, that still feels very much like Twitter, everybody flocks there. And it's, it's because, I think, not because it's fundamentally different from Twitter, but it's safer. It feels safer. It feels nicer. This is one of the things that I, I felt was so welcoming when I started using Mastodon. And now I'm using Lemmy as an alternative to Reddit. It's like there is this optimism and this kindness and people are just there to share their creativity and jokes and funny memes and... And it's like, wow, it's been a long time since the internet felt like this. And I don't know if it's going to stay like that. It all depends, I think, on moderation. And is, is Meta really trying to protect its community? Or will they ultimately... And unfortunately, I'm a bit cynical. I think that they will ultimately choose revenue. How can, how can we make money? They're very much... It's a business. So, but my mission is not a business. And as I explained, it's not about the revenue. Uh, I just want to make sure that we can continue the mission. And I know that the work itself is not going to be the, the main source of income. Um, and, it, and so we, we, we need patrons. We need uh, people that believe that this is important and want to invest in this, just as much as I am investing in this, my entire life, everything that I do. I've, I've passed on way, uh, 
no, not we. I've passed on a lot of opportunities and a lot of things that I could do with my life because I feel that this is what I must do. This is my vocation. And I try to renew my faith every day, thinking of what Jesus tells his apostles when they are going on their mission. And he tells them not to worry. And not even to take money and extra stuff with them. And just trust that people are going to take care of you. Because someone who works in the vineyard of the Lord is worth... Uh, is, is worth his, um, how, did, how does Jesus say this? Um, well, deserves to be helped. <laughs> I'll translate it in my way. And, and I think, I hope that is true. I don't know, but that's the, that's the faith element. There are many times in, in, in the, what is it, 25 years that I've been doing this work that I, I, I didn't know if we could continue. And where we were on very, very flaky ground when it comes to the, uh, the income. And it's only in the most recent years that I had this job for television that we didn't have to worry about that. But most of the time that I've been doing this work, we were always, we, we were forced to trust God's providence. And I think that um, I'm, I'm back at that point right now where I want to um, let this, I want to put this in the hand of, of the one who calls me, and I am certain that in one way or another we will be able to continue this mission. Um, but I, I'm just letting go of this idea that everything I do needs to somehow generate money. And pff, No, I'm not in the business of, of dollars and euros. I'm in the business of souls and, <laughs> and life. And uh, it's sometimes very hard to put a price on that. Anyway... That's what I wanted to share with you. Um, thank you so much for joining me on this walk. I hope this helped uh, to get, to get a, an idea of where we're at. And uh, thank you so much for your support and for your feedback. And if you're a patron also, for your contributions. Now you know how important that is. Talk to you soon. God bless.